two stops along Route 66, and I want to remind you again by way of maybe the slides tonight that we've been going through this series called Route 66, and the reason we call it that is because there are 66 books in the Bible, and as we started, of course, we didn't begin in the, the first book of the Bible with the book of Genesis, but we actually began between the Old and New Testament, that 400 years of, of silence, and we, we got right into the gospel records. And of course, I believe this is our 18th week, uh, 18 different lessons that we from the uh, book of Matthew, now are going into these last few books of the New Testament. And uh, God's been so good to teach us many things. And I hope that this series is proving to be to you what it's been to me. It's, it's, it, to me, it's been a reminder. It's been a reset. It helps me to understand these books as I'm reading and studying them. And so notice as we've gone through even the blue books, which we call the church epistles, now we're kind of in those red books towards the end of those, which are a lot of times referred to as the general epistles. Some of them we even call personal epistles. And we're heading towards the end of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to get started in the first of those tonight, and that is the book of First John. And I want you to have your Bible open there because First John is a great book. I call it, or I title this, now remember the word epistle is the same word as, as a letter. And many times we call these books of our Bibles, but they were letters that were written and so the epistle of 1 John is the epistle of knowledge and assurance. And of course, we always need to be growing in our knowledge of the Lord and our assurance uh, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you see there on your uh, paperwork, the name that course would be uh, John. And, and the reason I just put in parentheses here because we don't have the time tonight. But if you were with us or you could go back to when we covered the gospel of John, this is the same writer. And, of course, God allowed John to write the Gospel of John. He was oftentimes referred to as John the Beloved, uh, the one that leaned on Jesus' breast. And, of course, John was very endeared to our Lord Jesus Christ while he was on this earth. And so we won't go back and talk about John because we already covered that when we covered the Gospel of John. Now, the occasion of writing 1 John, it appears that John is considering the body of Christ, and when we talk about that, we're talking about all believers, and he refers to them and, and views them as a family, uh, more so than even a church. And, I, and we mentioned that this past Sunday, we had a wonderful time in the afternoon uh, just talking about how the church is a family. That's the way John viewed the believers, the church, as a family. He sees the believers as the children of God, and if you take the time, or maybe you did before this evening, you read this small book, these five chapters, and I, some of the words that I love that kind of goes right into this family thought is he uses words like father and little children. So you see there he's kind of making a reference to the believers as a family. And John, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he sought to emphasize God's love for all believers and the reason he did this was because they were living in a world just like our world today that was a world filled with hate. And John was trying to help these believers understand how much God loves them because, look, this world is not showing much love, especially God's type of love. And so John writes here, secondly, to express, uh, expressly show Christians what their faith in Christ really means. And, and I think sometimes 
We forget that. In a small book like this, 1 John helps us to kind of go back and realize what our faith in Christ really means. Now, I will just say this because I may forget later on to say it, but when you're in the Old Testament of our Bible, there are books towards the end of the Old Testament that are oftentimes referred to as the minor prophets. Now, right before those are some larger books that are referred to as the major prophets. And I said this a while back that just because they're called minor versus the major doesn't mean they're less important. It actually is just a reference to the size of the writings or we would call the size of the books. Uh, of course, Isaiah is 66 chapters. You go to some of those minor prophets and they're just a few chapters in some of those, just like we see here in 1 John and we're about to see in 2 John, 3 John and the book of Jude just because these books are small or smaller than others doesn't mean they're not as important. As a matter of fact, there are so many great things in these smaller books, and we oftentimes miss it because we will just read through them quickly and gloss over it. But John here, in just five chapters, wants us as Christians to know what our faith in Christ really means. So notice the contents here. John sought to promote brotherly love. And again, this family idea here, brotherly love. He seeks to oppose and actually stop the growth of immoral practices and false doctrines. And of course, even in John's day, just like today, there were a lot of things that were immoral. There were things that were going on that were not of God. They were things that were very wicked. Uh, there was a lot of teaching, doctrinal teachings that were false teachings. And we, we still see a lot of that in our day. So again, this book, even though it was written many, many, many years ago, is still contemporary today, still helps us to understand some of the things. I love how the Word of God is still applicable in our lives and in our church and in the ministry today. So notice the character we see of the first John is it's one of those general epistles kind of written to the believers. Notice the subject is the family of God at home. And uh, this just helps us understand, again, this family environment and this, this dealing with the subject here, just trying to help the family of God. Now, the purpose of this first John is to reveal truth concerning fellowship, truth concerning fellowship, and also that we may know that we have eternal life. Now, remember, <clears throat> the Bible promises us that uh, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, that we don't just have uh, life, but we have everlasting life or eternal life. Now, a verse to help us understand about fellowship in the first chapter there, notice verse number three, the Bible says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye, may, ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at that verse, uh, I know being, being a preacher, and a lot of times I might go to, to what we call a fellowship. It might be uh, some type of get-together where a bunch of preachers, and by the way, preachers need preaching too, but we'll go to these fellowships, and, and, and sometimes you'll go, and they'll talk about this, talk about that. Sometimes we'll have a men's meeting here at our church, or a ladies' gathering here at our church, or, or whatever. Folks, listen, anytime we get together as Christians, notice that true Bible fellowship is with 
the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So it, look, it, as we get together as a group of men here at the church, or as we get together as a group of ladies here at the church, if what we're doing, if the Lord wouldn't feel comfortable in that setting, or the Lord is not a part of it, then it's not true fellowship. And so John writes here really to help us understand the truth about fellowship. And then I like this. He wants us to know, not just guess or hope so about our salvation, but the Bible tells us, and I've used this verse many times as I've been talking to people about the Lord, that we may know that we have eternal life. A lot of times people wonder, are they saved? But here's a great verse, and if you don't know this verse, remember this verse or highlight it. But the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 11, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. Now, the, God, the Bible says this is the record, look at it, and this life, this eternal life, is in his Son. So, look, the only way that a person can be saved is by the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Now, as you read on, it says, and he that hath the Son, in other words, if you're saved, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if a person's not saved, they don't have eternal life, that they don't have Jesus in their heart. Now look at verse 13. He says these things, what, what he just said, verse 11 and 12, these things have I written unto you. In other words, we have God's word. that He says, I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So what a great reminder. Now, you know, if you're like me, and I've done this many times, and I want you to remember this, especially if you're joining us, maybe not a part of our church, you're listening in tonight, or if you know someone that this might be a help to, many times people that, are, that don't know Christ, uh, they're not a believer, or they are new in Christ, I a lot of times will say to them, hey, listen, start reading the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a very easy book to read. It's very easy to get a hold of. And I will tell people, if you go to the Gospel of John, it will help you. Now, one of the reasons is because it's very simplistic in the way that God put it together, but it speaks much about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and this matter of salvation. So when you come to the same writer in 1 John, he is just really just going right back to where he was in the Gospel of John, talking about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you have eternal life. And again, I love the purpose of 1 John, revealing truth concerning fellowship and that we can know that we have eternal life. Now look at this little outline, simple outline for, for John, uh, 1 John here. God is light in the first two chapters, or uh, uh, first two chapters there. Second uh, thing we see is not only is God is light, but God is love uh, through chapter number four. And then chapter five deals with God is life. And certainly we who are saved, we understand that God is our life. The writer I mentioned earlier is the Apostle John, John the Beloved. When and where was it written? <clears throat> this was written close to the end of the first century, about, but somewhere between 85 and 90 AD, probably written in the city of Ephesus. And of course, Ephesus was the city where Timothy was the pastor. And of course, we find that eventually uh, John, they believe, became the pastor of the church. We'll talk about that here as we get into some of the other uh, writings of John at, that we'll look at tonight. But uh, the key chapter that we find in 1 John is chapter number 5. 
that deals with faith for overcoming. And certainly once we get saved, uh, that's really when the battle begins. And so I love this. Uh, our, our couples class, we're teaching a, a, a series of lessons right now on being overcomers. And of course, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians where uh, uh, John wrote from Ephesus. And of course, that Ephesians chapter 6 deals with the whole armor of God. All of that is about being an overcomer for the Lord Jesus Christ. The key verse I already shared with you, uh, chapter 5, verse 13. Again, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of, of, of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And what a wonderful verse that is. The key words that we find in uh, 1 John is the word know, K-N-O-W, used 15 times. Uh, the word love is used 46 times in 1 John, and then also the word fellowship that we've talked about. Now, the key phrase is, if we say, and a great thought there, of course, starts with that conditional word there, the word if, if we say. The key thought to 1 John is to stand in the truth, and we need to make sure as believers, remember uh, John was writing here about the false teachings, the immoral practices of the day. We think about the world we live in today. We need to do the same thing. We need to stand firm in the truth of the Word of God. What this world needs is the world needs the truth of the Word of God. Now, the spiritual thought here is that Jesus is the life. And this is one of the things Jesus said in John chapter number 14. And as we look in each one of the books of the Bible, we see that the Lord is mentioned or we can view the Lord in every book of the Bible. Here we see Christ as the Son of God in 1 John. So certainly we, we start out tonight with a great book, 1 John, and we, we see some wonderful challenges, some warnings, some admonitions from John as he writes. Now when we go into the next book in your Bible, it's just one short chapter, 2 John, and we call this the Epistle of Love and Truth. So John began in 1 John dealing with knowledge and assurance, and then he moves to this second little letter, the epistle of love and truth. Of course, the name here, John, again, the writer of the Gospel of John. Now, the occasion of this second John letter is to warn against the corrupting influences of false teachers who are denying the reality of Christ's humanity. In other words, they were saying or trying to get people to believe that Jesus was not a man. And, of course, we understand that Jesus uh, took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. Uh, the Bible says that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But there were teachers in John's day that were trying to get people to believe that, that Jesus was not a man. And they were also, notice here, uh, to encourage, as John writes, he's trying to encourage Christians to love in the truth. Now, again, when you think about this, there are always going to be people that oppose the truth, uh, people that are going to try to teach that Jesus uh, did not exist or that he was just a man and he was not God or whatever. Uh, the, even in our day, people are trying to convince us that's all the lies of the devil but here's the thing is, even though we have the truth, we should make sure that we have the right spirit with the truth. And, and that's why he's encouraging Christians to love in the truth in this second John, because people need the truth. And if we're hateful, then they will not even hear the truth, much less accept the truth. 
And so we see the, this is the occasion of the writing. Now notice the contents of 2 John. John exhorts and encourages, notice this, the lady, as the Bible records, to whom he writes to continue in the truth and the faith of the gospel in love to God and his people and to avoid false teachers and their doctrine. So as John is writing here, he mentions here encouraging the lady uh, to whom he writes. Notice he's encouraging this lady to continue. Now, we see that as you look at this phraseology that God allows him using the elect lady that he's writing here, this is to whom the letter is addressed to, that you find that right here in the beginning of, of 2 John. Now, notice if you would in your Bible, look here. Let me get over to 2 John. And notice in the very first verse, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. So he's staying with that family, uh, again, talking of father, children, and so on. But there's a phrase that he adds here, unto the elect lady. Now, this, this possibly could refer to maybe a prominent woman, a lady in the church at this particular time in Ephesus. Or it could also be that he was writing to the local church itself. Now, again, we're uncertain. It could be both. Maybe there was a very prominent woman in the church at that time. Now, personally, uh, going back to other places in the scripture, I, I kind of hold to the fact that I believe he's making reference to the church itself. Um, you see the same thing when you find Luke's writing that Luke used a, a, a name, a term, the word was Theophilus. I don't know if you remember, we covered that many, many, uh, even months ago. But Theophilus, of course, the word there, Theophilus, Theo is God, Philos, Phila, or Phileo is actually the word love. And so we determined that Theophilus was a lover of God. And we mentioned back then in Luke's writings that that could refer to a a prominent man of that day, that maybe a man in the church, or it could be a term of endearment for the church itself. And I, I really believe that both of these terms are making reference to the church at that particular time. So again, you may differ on that, but, but again, he begins writing here in the very first verse of just these 13 verses to the elect lady. Now, the character of this particular uh, letter is really more of a family epistle as we see here, the subject is the truth as it is in Christ. Now, again, Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So look, apart from Christ, we don't have the truth. Apart from the word of God, we don't have the truth. So we see the truth as it is in Christ just in just a few verses here in this letter of 2 John. That's why it's referred to as the epistle of love and truth. Now, the purpose is that we may abide in the truth, and watch this, and that the truth may abide in us. Now, you could go back again to John's writings, where John gives that famous chapter in the Gospel of John about the, the, the vine and the branch, and how we need to make sure that we're abiding in Christ. And again, the branch is connected to the vine, or the trunk, and how you and I as Christians are to be connected to the Lord Certainly, listen, if we are not connected to the Lord, then as a branch, we're going to die, we're going to wither, but we realize our nourishment, our strength comes from the Lord, and he says here, look, that, that he writes, 
that we would not just abide in the truth, but that the truth would abide in us. We need to be men and women of the truth. This world needs to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the truth. Simple outline, again, because of the size of this, begins in the first six verses, love expressed in the boundary of truth. And again, we see this, this relationship between love and the truth. And then the next uh, couple verses, life is an expression of the doctrine of Christ. So as we live, we are Christians. We are living out the Lord Jesus Christ in our own life. And then the last two verses, uh, Paul, or excuse me, John kind of gives a personal greeting, which is a little different because at the end of this, he says, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with pen and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy, notice he includes himself. He says, I want to be with you so that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee, amen. So he signs off with a personal greeting. And again, we see all of that in the outline of Second John. Now the writer here, again, you go back to the first verse, he identifies himself a little bit different than he did in the first, first John. He calls himself here, or God allows him to write, that he's John the, ele uh, the elder. And of course, the word elder there, we've talked about this back in Peter's writings, is the word presbyteros, which again is one of those terms uh, that, that is synonymous with a pastor. So he's really writing from a pastor's heart uh, in the role of a pastor. And of course, God's given me the privilege to pastor our church these six years. But notice this ver first verse here, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. So John, in the role of a pastor, is writing to them about the truth. And I love that. Where and when was this written? Well, again, it goes right back to the time frame where he wrote 1 John, this is between 85, 90 AD, same place, probably Ephesus. The key verse, of course, there's only one chapter. The key verse is verse number six. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now, one thing I saw as I was reading these uh, books that we're going through tonight before we came in here was again I was reminded many times about how John talks about our walk and I know you've heard me say this before but our walk talks and our talk talks but our walk talks louder than our talk talks in other words we can say what we want we can say that we we believe the truth and that we love the Lord but, but we display that by our walk. And that's what John is saying here. He says, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. We do what he says. So notice the key words here in 2 John is the word love and the word truth, which goes right back to our theme for 2 John. Key phrase here is, again, going back to this thought of abiding. Here's the phrase, abide in the doctrine. Uh, we don't need the false teachings and the things that the world is trying to come up with. We're not a part of a man-made religion that gives man's doctrines and teachings. We have the Word of God, and we are to abide in the doctrine. A key thought, uh, again, goes back to walk in the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Walk with Him. Walk in the truth. Spiritual thought of 2 John 
is to preserve the truth. Now, look, when, when I hold in my hands the Word of God, God has preserved His Word unto our generation. So I love this, how we have been given and trusted with the Word of God, and certainly God's Word will stand. Uh, God has, His Word is settled forever in heaven, but God has given us the opportunity to be His ambassador, to carry the truth, to carry the Word of God. I think about our missions conference, how our missionaries are carrying, they're preserving the Word of God, they're taking God's Word to Thailand, to Japan, to, uh, to the Bahamas, or wherever they may go, wherever God may send them to South Africa with the truth. And so we need to be a preservative. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew 5, we are salt and we are light. God wants His Word to be preserved. And so I love that spiritual thought. <clears throat> and then in 2 John, how do we see Christ? We see Him here as the truth or the true doctrine. And so Jesus is the truth. Notice verse number nine, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ or in the truth, notice hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So that goes back to 1 John where he says that our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son. Why? Because we have the truth. We, we're, we're living in the truth. We're walking in the truth. We're abiding in the doctrine. And, and when you think of verse 9, it reminds me again, I've mentioned John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Look, you can't get to heaven on your own, uh, certainly not by our works of righteousness, which we have done. The only way to get there is with the truth. And so 2 John, again, just 13 little verses, but so much there in those verses. Now turn, turn a page maybe in your Bible to the next writing of John, and this is 3 John, and this one is 14 verses, and uh, I've given the title here, The Epistle of Christian Hospitality. So well, John begins with the epistle of knowledge and assurance, then he goes to the epistle of love and truth, and he finishes it with the epistle of Christian hospitality. Now, I really believe that as we have knowledge, we receive that from the Word of God, and we have the assurance that we are saved, and of course, then we, we are taught by God's Word how to love because we have the truth, then notice, I think that's where hospitality comes in, is we'll understand how to treat people, how to invite people in uh, to our lives and be hospitable to them, just like Jesus, when many times he sat with uh, when he sat with people that were uh, lepers and people that were sinners and the Pharisees and so on, and Jesus was very hospitable to them. Then notice again, Third John is, uh, of course, the writer is John. Now, the occasion is a little bit different from the other two. So here we see him giving a warning about schism. Now, that's a, a word that you even find in the Bible. Schism means a division. Uh, certainly, uh, this is something that we need to be aware of even in our day. Why? Because the devil loves to divide. Uh, he loves to divide the house of God, the people of God, and we need to be careful about this. And so, as, as we go to 3 John, you see here that he warns about schism. Now, one of the ways he does that is he mentions in just 14 verses, there's actually three men that he mentions, but th the second one he mentions is a man by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is a man that refused to recognize the authority that God had given to John 
And he did this by treating people that were sent by John with harshness. So again, when, when he, people were sent by John to Diotrephes, he kind of refused them. He was very cruel to them, mean to them, because he didn't recognize that God had given authority to John. So well, another individual that he, he mentions in the beginning of this third John letter is this man by the name of Gaius. And he actually, John actually warns Gaius about this man, Diotrephes, and about how he was very proud, he was a very arrogant Christian. And, you know, believe it or not, as Christians, we can be carnal uh, Christians, meaning that the, we allow the flesh uh, to lead us in our lives. So you see that coming out in the occasion of Third uh, John. Now notice again in verse number 9 of this uh, one chapter here, he says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, and here's his description, or God's description of him, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, and then notice here, he receiveth us not. So Diotrephes was not receiving those that were being sent to him by John and not recognizing John's authority. But notice the Bible says that this man was a very proud, arrogant man. He, he was one that loved to have the preeminence. He wanted to be first place. And we need to be careful about that because remember, God is the one that lifts up and God is the one that removes. And of course, God many times will humble us as we try to lift ourselves up. The contents of 3 John is, it was written to Gaius, I mentioned, one of John's converts. Uh, and the reason is because he referred to him as beloved four times in just 14 verses. So notice here in verse number one, the elder, and again, he, in 2 John, 3 John, he refers to himself that way, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So it goes right back to what he was saying in 2 John, talking about the truth, loves him in the Lord. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a brother or sister in Christ saying to one another, I love you. Now again, I love you in the Lord. And we need to make sure that we, uh, we understand that. Now notice, in, as you look at the contents, John commends Gaius for his hospitality and his charity. And he actually voices his concern. I mentioned earlier about Diotrephes as being proud and overbearing in the church. And then also towards the end of this, he, he recommends a, a man by the name of Demetrius. And so John here, as we see the contents in 14 verses, the biggest thing we see is that he encourages partnership in the truth. And I think that we can come together. I know a lot of times we may not always agree with one another, but John did a good job of encouraging partnership in the truth. The character of this epistle is that it was a personal epistle that he was writing to individuals. Again, 14 verses, three individuals mentioned. And I mentioned this earlier, the subject uh, we find here is humility, that, that God tries to help us to understand, as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And there needs to be uh, humility in our lives. John helps us with that in this third John. The purpose of third John is to teach us God's place for us as witnesses. Now remember, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, that ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. So that's God's place for us, is that we need to be witnesses. Look, having a missions conference, supporting missionaries is wonderful. 
But if we are sending people and supporting people, but we ourselves are not going out, then we're missing it. Uh, we shouldn't be asking of others what we ourselves shouldn't be willing to do ourselves. And so that's why I'm, I'm constantly encouraging you. Why do we go out on Saturdays? Because the Word of God commands us to, to be a witness. And so 3 John, in just 14 verses, one of the things we see is John helps us to understand our place as witnesses of the truth. And he also writes to warn us against self-exaltation and self-assumption in the ministry. So, you know, again... I've seen a lot of times where people desire, and again, I think the heart is, I want to be a part of, of the ministry, I want, to, I want to serve God, and I think that that's a great thing for the heart to have, but again, we have to allow the Lord to give us those opportunities, and so that's why he says, I want to warn you about, about trying to lift yourself up, exalt yourself, or to assume that you are someone before God actually would, would uh, you know, Years ago, and, and I, I may have shared this uh, in the past, but I had a man in our church that was on staff, and of course I was very involved, and we, we loved serving in our local church. This was long before God called me into the ministry. And as we were serving in our home church there where I got saved at, and we were Joy and I got married at, uh, this, this man that was on staff, he ended up leaving the church because God directed him to another ministry. And as he was getting ready to leave, he called me in one day right before he left, and he says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he said, uh, why are you not in the ministry? And I kind of looked at him. I never had anybody just ask me, point blank, ask me that before. And he said, because uh, you know, I've, I've been in the ministry not a long time, but he said, man, I, I see you around here. I see you doing this, doing that. And, you know, and my pastor had, had given me certain things that he, he wanted me to do for him. And I love doing those things. And by the way, they weren't some of them weren't the most glamorous or sought after things. But I just love doing things for for the Lord. And as my pastor would ask me to do something, I would just I would do it, you know. And and God was giving me those those opportunities. And when He asked me, "Why aren't you in the ministry?" I, I, my answer was, "Well, uh, God hasn't called me, or God hasn't given that to me. But if the Lord would want me to, I'd be willing to." And you know, that's the greatest uh, thing in our lives is that we would be available to God. And, and so I hope that that's your uh, feeling in your heart is that uh, you would not be interested in self-exaltation or self-assumption in the ministry, but just let God be the one that, that allows us. Now, again, be available, and, uh, and we may uh, talk about some of those things even in the new year as we're uh, getting ready to start another new year of ministry at our church. Simple outline here for uh, Third John, a little bit longer than the other two because he gives an introduction in the first four verses. In the last two verses, he gives a conclusion. But in the middle, uh, you find the meat of, of course, he gives these three individuals dealing as a personal epistle. He gives a confirmation of Gaius. And of course, Gaius being one of his converts uh, that, that John was able to reach with the gospel. Then he gives the condemnation of Diotrephes, again, the one that desired to have the preeminence. And then he also, at the end, gives in verse number 12, his commendation of Demetrius. And so there's a simple little outline there to help you. Of course, writer we mentioned is John, as he mentions here, the elder. And of course, his name is not there, but the, the words the elder. We find, uh, again, the, the, the uh, 
correlation between 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John there, how they fit together uh, because of it being the same writer. Verse number 1, the elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. When and where? Same time frame, same place it was written from Ephesus, about 85 to 90 A.D. And the key verses here in 3 John is verse number 4. Look at this verse, and we, we use this verse a lot. He says here, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, he's making reference to people that he had reached as their spiritual father. By the way, uh, if you've had the privilege like I have, to maybe be the instrument that God uses to bring somebody to the Savior. We can't save somebody, but certainly we can bring them, as Andrew brought his brother Simon or Simon Peter to the Lord, that we become their spiritual father, their spiritual mother. And I, I think a lot of times Christians miss this, that God used you to help birth them to Christ. And again, we, we didn't save them, but understand that we were there, God was using us, and God, watch this, so once they come to know Christ, that's not the end. That's, that's when the, the spiritual birth has taken place. They're a new creature in Christ, old things passed away, behold, all things are become new. So when, a, when a, my daughter that just had her baby, she certainly wouldn't have that baby and then just walk away from it. Well, we as spiritual parents, like John, we too should make sure that we help to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's why he says, I don't have a, there's not a greater joy than to hear that my spiritual children are walking in truth, that they haven't gone astray. And then also, verse number eight, he says, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So again, this matter of receiving people, being hospitable to people, so that we can be fellow along with them. We can all be working together to help the truth to go farther than it's ever gone before. And I love those two key verses. The key word uh, that we see here is the word truth. And again, a lot of John's writings deals with the truth because it's dealing with the Lord. Uh, the key phrase is follow. And then if you notice there in verse number 11, he says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil. God says, don't follow evil things, but notice, follow that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So God says, follow that which is good. Don't follow, look, don't go with the crowd, don't follow the world, follow the Lord, follow the truth. And that's what he's saying there in the key phrase. Now, the key thought, John is trying to help us understand to spread the truth. That's what all these missionary flags that you're seeing are all about, is we're interested in spreading the truth, not only in our Jerusalem, but in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we want to get the truth out to everyone while there's still time. Spiritual thought, Jesus is the way. <coughs> Excuse me, we've talked about how he's the truth, but remember, the only way to get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door. Christ in 3 John is seen as a worthy name, a worthy name. And I love verse 7. Look at it with me. Because that for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. So look, when I think about there is a name I love to hear, I love to, to sing its worth. And it, it sounds like music, the songwriter said. 
in mine ear. It's the sweetest name I've heard. It's a name above all names. The name of Jesus is a worthy name. So John's, here's these three little first, second, third John right there before we get to the last two books of the, of the New Testament and wonderful books to help us to understand about the truth and love and the Lord Jesus Christ fellowshipping with him. And so I love those three small books there. I hope you've read them and I hope you understand them a little bit better after going through this. Now look at this uh, last one we'll look at tonight, the book of Jude, and uh, tucked in here right after John's three small epistles. And Jude is just, again, uh, 25 verses here, but it's the epistle or the letter to correct apostasy. Now apostasy is false teaching, uh, and certainly, again, this is another one of those books, just like 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that we understand, especially as we're getting ready to look in, in next week at the book of Revelation, that there is much false teaching and immoral practices going on in the world today. So this small 25 verses is to help us to correct some of the apostasy, the falling away that we're seeing in the world today. Now the writer, notice here the name is Jude, and Jude was actually a brother of James, and probably he was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, when Jesus, before Jesus was born in the first coming of Christ, the Bible says that Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. And, of course, the Bible prophesied in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Isaiah, that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus did not have an earthly father, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, and as Jesus was then, remember how Mary's conversation when Joseph found out that she was with child, uh, Joseph was struggling with that. The Bible says that he, he considered putting her away privily. In other words, just he loved Mary. They weren't married yet. Uh, they hadn't consummated the marriage, and so he was thinking about this. What are people going to say? And I'm going to be embarrassed and ashamed and maybe uh, uh, cast out of the city because uh, my wife-to-be is already with child, and uh, certainly we would understand that thought process. And then remember how Mary said, well, how can this be, seeing I, I haven't known a man? You know, I haven't had any physical uh, contact with a man. But after Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Bible does record, notice there in Mark 6, Jesus had brothers, we would maybe call them half-brothers, and the Bible actually records by name four brothers Notice he was the brother of James and Joseph, or Hoses, and Judah and Simon. These were the four half-brothers of Jesus. Now, the Bible also mentions that he had sisters. It doesn't say the names of them. So Jesus could have had two, because it was plural, could have had more than two. But if you notice in this list here, the fourth half-brother or brother of Jesus was Judah, uh, which is Jude. It's a... Uh, a synonymous word here, we see the writer of this small 25 chapters is Jude. Now, the occasion of Jude's writing is to warn believers about the gross abuses of Christian liberty. And we covered this a while back in the book of Galatians, how the, once we're saved that our liberty is in Christ. And people today, think about this, and again, I'm not trying to uh, uh, be uh, controversial but I am trying to be biblical that the Bible does teach us that we should abstain from 
uh, anything that is uh, that moveth itself aright, alcoholic beverages, things like that. Uh, and, and the Bible's clear. There are many scriptures that, that talk about this. And so as we think about this, many Christians today drink alcohol. Well, what are you doing if you're a child of God and you are polluting your body? You are abusing your Christian liberty. And there are many other examples that I could give you, but we need to be careful about this. And Jude tries to help us understand because there are people today that say, look, once saved, always saved. And that is true. But there is going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day where we stand before the Lord and we give an account of the life that we have lived. So we need to be careful about that. And we need to honor God. Remember, your, your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The Bible says, well, you're not glorifying God in your body when you are desecrating the temple of God. Same thing goes true. And again, I know there are people listening, people in our church that maybe before you got saved, uh, maybe, maybe you went out and got a tattoo. And I, I get that. I understand that. But, but I th do think that once salvation has happened and there's been a regeneration that's taken place, I really believe that a Christian ought not to go out and mark their body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Certainly, listen, we love everyone. And, and if you're a child of God, I, I have many friends that have a tattoo. So I'm, I'm not preaching on tattoos tonight. I am talking about abusing Christian liberty. And we need to be careful about that. Again, I just want to be biblical tonight. And so hopefully you understand that. So that's the occasion as he writes. And you get that from verse number four. Look at this verse here. And Jude, he says, for there are, there are certain men crept in, notice here, unawares. Now, we, we also have to be aware of this, even in our church, that there could be people, just like Jude is writing here, that have found their way into the church, unawares, nobody suspects them. He says, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, and he describes them as ungodly men who are turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. In other words, a reckless lifestyle, just uh, throwing all caution to the wind. And he says, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So look, when I, when I read this book, every time I read Jude, and it's very easy to read through it you know, in just a short couple minutes, I see this warning to believers, uh, and, it, and it reminds me, to not abuse the liberty that I have in Christ. Now, he's also writing about the danger of apostasy, and that's, that goes back to the theme. And, and Jude gives advice on how one might combat it. Well, how do we do that? By earnestly contending for the faith. Now, remember, you were saved by faith. You are being kept by faith. We need to make sure that we maintain our faith in the Word of God, keep our faith in God, I love Hebrews chapter number 11. Look, there were so many that, that their faith was tested, just like yours and mine has, has been and will be tested. And I love that reminder in Hebrews chapter number 11. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Joseph did this or Moses did this. And so, uh, again, we see in verse number 3, look at this verse. Beloved, he says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he, he begins talking about the faith that was once received. The, you know, for me, it's been 36 years that I, I've been living by faith, the faith that I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says in verse 3, it was needful, it was necessary for me to write unto you and to exhort you, to encourage you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now watch this. If you and I, if we don't earnestly contend for the faith, in other words, we just lay our arms down, uh, we get out of the battle, the Christian life, we just open our arms and accept any false teaching that there is or any false teacher of the day, we're not earnestly contending for the faith. And by the way, the faith that you have known, that you received, understand that that faith could easily be gone. What, what, what are the politicians in the world trying to do since, since, uh, since really almost the beginning of mankind, but we've seen it in our nation, especially since 1962, is try to remove any resemblance of anything dealing with God or dealing with the faith in Christ. And so Jude does a great job to help us with the danger of apostasy and how we might combat that. And how do we do that? By earnestly contending for the faith. Now, look at the contents here. Jude describes false teachers, we just read there, who deny the Lord. And what are they doing? They're really giving license to sin. They're, they're saying, look, uh, it's okay. The Bible doesn't say that. You know. Now, look, folks, it, the Bible doesn't have a verse for everything. But I do understand, as a child of God, I always weigh it with the fact that the Bible says to abstain from all appearance of evil. Remember that verse that we read, that we should follow after that which is good. Don't follow after that which is evil. So if I look at something, in God's eyes, if it's something that's good, then I'm okay with it. But if it's something that's evil that's, that I find in the Word of God, may not be spelled out, it may not have a proof text verse for but understand that if God sees it as wrong, then it's wrong. And it shouldn't always have, look, we shouldn't always have to show me the verse. In other words, my heart is, I just want to please the Lord. And that's what we see here. Now, as Jude gives us these individuals, these false teachers, he gives us, I want you to look at these, he gives us Old Testament illustrations of sins that actually led to apostasy. For instance, look in your Bible there. The first one he gives in verse number five is the illustration of Israel. And in verse five, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, how that afterwards destroyed them that believed not. So look, here God saved them, but what did they do? They believed not. So we see here, the, the, you know, God having to deal, these are illustrations of sins that led to apostasy. What was Israel's apostasy? It was unbelief. Notice another one there in verse number six, the very next verse, he uses the illustration of angels. He says, angels which kept not their first estate, but they left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under, uh, unto the judgment of that great day. So again, you see this illustration here of sin leading to apostasy. The angel's sin was rebellion. And remember, the Bible says that Lucifer and a third of the angels fell. God cast them out of heaven. Look at the next illustration that we see here in verse number seven. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, 
are set forth as for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So again, we see here the illustration of sin, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. What was the sin? Immorality, perversion. We see that rampant in the day that we're living today and how God had to deal with that also. Notice the next example. Look at verse number 11. We see a couple here. He says, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Well, what was the sin of Cain? It was the sin of self-will. Notice also in this verse, he says, and they ran after the error of Balaam. Well, again, what was the sin of Balaam? It was covetousness. It was greed. And then also in verse number 11, he says, and they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. And again, Korah in the Old Testament, what was the sin there? It was the rejection of God's authority. So look, Jude gives us in just a few verses some Old Testament illustrations of sins that actually led to apostasy. What's he talking about? He's talking about these false teachers these people just, just leading away from God, who are denying the Lord, who are giving a license to sin. Hey, it's okay, just go ahead and do it. And God says, no, it's not okay. And, and again, I love here how God through Jude is helping us understand the danger of apostasy. Now, the character of Jude is it's a general epistle, a general epistle. The subject is the faith that saves in the evil days of apostasy. And we've already covered that, the faith that saves in the evil days of apostasy. The purpose of Jude is to keep us from falling. I I love that, how the Bible says there uh, in verse number 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and here's the last part, and to present us how faultless. Now you and I, look, we're not perfect. We will not be perfect in this life. Uh, We should be living for the Lord, but notice that that because of what God does for us, because He can keep us from falling, and then He is the one that can present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Hey, one day we're going to be with the Lord, and I love that thought there to keep us from falling, present us faultless. Simple outline here, first three verses is the occasion of this epistle, why God allowed these 25 verses, and then we see from verse 4 all the way to 16, And I mentioned some of those already, the occurrences of apostasy, uh, times and things that have happened. And then notice the last part of Jude is the occupation of believers in the days of apostasy. Look, what's going on in the world today does not surprise God. Uh, The Lord knew this this was going to happen. By the way, until he comes back, he knows what's going to happen in the days ahead. And so we see that here in Jude in these last verses. The writer I mentioned earlier is Jude. When did he write this and from where did he write it? Well, notice we just looked at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Remember that the books in our Bible are not necessarily put together in the canon in chronological order because 1st, 2nd, 3rd John were actually 85 to 90 AD, whereas Jude was actually written much earlier in 67 to 68 AD. And this was probably written in Jerusalem And notice the key verse, we already looked at that, verse 24, he is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless. The key words, of course, the most important one is the word love, or excuse me, the word Lord that's used seven times, and the word kept. And again, it's the Lord that's doing the keeping, we cannot keep ourselves. The key phrase is the words earnestly contend. 
And we find that back in, in uh, Jude's writing here to earnestly contend for the faith. Key thought is to present us faultless, present us faultless. And all of this from verse 24, <clears throat> notice the key, uh, the spiritual thought is that God is able. And certainly the Lord is able to keep us from falling and, and to present us faultless. And then how is Christ seen? The very last verse, notice he is the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever and, and ever. Amen. And so I, I just wanted uh, to end tonight, and I know we've been a little bit longer. I appreciate you hanging in and covering this, but I, I know we, we covered a lot of territory. But when I look at 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Jude, I really see uh, some great illustrations and some help for me as a Christian, as a pastor, as a husband, to understand and, and to understand how the Word of God can help me in these wicked days, these evil days that we live in. And, and here's the admonition, and we're done, is don't follow after those evil things. Follow that which is good. And I believe that if we do follow that which is good, I believe God will be well pleased. And again, we apologize we weren't able to be with you in person or live stream tonight, but uh, we're glad that you were able to watch, and I hope that you took notes. Next week, we're going to uh, begin into the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to promise that we're going to get all the way through the book of Revelation. Say, Pastor, you just covered four books. Can't you cover one? Well, the book of Revelation's a pretty good challenge, but we may try to uh, launch out and do it <clears throat> all in, in one lesson. But uh, if you would try to read through it, uh, about three chapters, a little over three chapters a day, you'll be through the book of Revelation, 22 chapters. And I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. And don't forget, Friday night, our missions conference starts and uh, the water's going down. The doors will be open and we're looking forward to having you Friday night, Saturday night, and then, of course, Sunday morning, Sunday night, our missions conference, I Love the World. All right? Well, Lord bless you, and we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed for this evening. Lord, thank you again for the word of God as I hold it in my hand. I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful for the warnings. May we heed them. Thankful for the exhortation. God, may it help us, encourage us to go on to earnestly contend for the faith in this day that we live in. Thank you for those that have gone on before us, for the examples that we have. But most of all,